Welcome back to the Tour Daily from Cycling Tips, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz, and we are on the steps outside the press room just next to the Champs-Élysées for the final stage of the Men's Tour de France and what just wrapped up not too long ago, the first stage of the Women's Tour de France. Johnny, set the scene for me. We're sitting in one bit of shade outside of a bacon hot Champs-Élysées. We've got all of our friends here, including some old friends that we that left us along the way but have, yep. have now returned. That's the main that's the main set in the scene that I think we need to do. Your man's right here. Your man is right here. He's here. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> the accent never went away. <laughs> we are. We're, we're, we are. What this podcast is actually is a bit of a handoff. Uh, so we're not actually going to chat for very long because we kind of did a bit of a tour wrap yesterday. We do a couple more things we want to talk about. Uh, but this is a handoff to our Tour de France Femme dailies, uh, which are going to be primarily run by Abby Mickey and Lauren Rowney. And I think Kit is on today's as well, as well as on the ground. We have Amy Jones and Matt Deneef. And so they're going to be bringing you daily podcasts every single day throughout the entire Tour de France Femme. Now, I do have a request here. You are hearing this on the normal Cycling Tips podcast channel. What I want you to do is I want you to head over to the Freewheeling Podcast channel and hit subscribe. Because while we are going to run these pods on both, you're going to get way more stuff over on Freewheeling. They're, they're running essentially extra special episodes every single day. Uh, I don't have a name for them or anything like that, but we probably should. We should brand these things up. Interviews, uh, extra analysis, things like that that's that is going to go even deeper into the tour de france femme so if you want that and i think you do make sure you head over and subscribe to freewheeling on wherever you get your podcasts and we'll be throwing to abby and lauren and kit in just a bit but first wow we need to finish the men's tour de france which wraps up in a couple hours what was really nice today just quickly is that usually when you get to the press room in paris it's sort of half empty it's like the Drips and drabs of people who are maybe flying out of Paris and like, well, just one more press room. I'll just do one more. Uh, but now it's it's fuller than it press room has been for uh, for a few days because you've got people staying on for the women's race, the real sort of hardcore, and then you've had a replenishing of the press corps with everyone turning up fresh to start the women's race. So it's quite a nice as as we are handing over the podcast. It's like everyone's handing over the Tour de France to to other colleagues yeah and like i said we have a we have a team coming in i think most cycling media outlets have sort of teams swapping over here uh we're fully fried and need to go home but thankfully amy and matt are are charged up and ready to go some of the people who make the tour de france happen are swapping over as well and as we spoke about the last podcast i was on my ability to get into places where i cannot it's it's this new crew of security guards and, and gendarmerie that are working for the Tour de France Femme are incredibly strict. There was there was a couple of places today that I couldn't get to. A few more places that I did get into, but... Really? Because we just walked out on the Champs-Élysées earlier. Yep, and that... I, I think I've lost it. You've you've just cursed me with... When you, when you brought it out into the open, everybody heard about it, and now the power is gone. <laughs> That's sad for you. There was a big omission yesterday... A big correction corner needed Huge in all of our talking of actual cycling and bike racing. Well, we and I the have most a correction corner too. Oh, you do? Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> when we were listening back to it in the car to like when you were editing it. We were like, well, I can't do math. Uh, my correction corner is how many Tours de France I have been to. Yes. Which is in fact 12. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, you 11. corrected yourself yesterday and I'll recorrect and again. I have, uh, yeah, I uncorrected myself yesterday and I've recorrected and I have been to 12 Tours We found de your Achilles heel is counting years. <laughs> It's not so much a corrections corner as just an opportunity to brag, though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. a little bit. At this point, it doesn't really matter, does it? It kind of makes me feel a little old, so not not super braggy. But yes, the Myers Tableau is a big, big omission. And, I mean, we're recording this before the men have really even... They're heading out of Paris now to, to yep. come back in. But what we realized at dinner after you'd already... Basically, we'd, we'd wrap the podcast. I'm just loading up uh, the Stats website now... I think actually I, I remember it. Huge movements in the Maya Sable. We thought that our man, Sepp Kuss, had it in the bag. So, Sepp Kuss did indeed lose a bit of time in the time trial. He's down to 
one hour, two minutes and 29 seconds. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a good Maya time. Sabla winning time in yeah. some other year. But Thomas Pidcock didn't go for it yesterday. He dropped down. He's now one hour, one minute and eight seconds. Patrick Conrad in 16th, 56 minutes, 52 seconds. So unless Patrick Conrad really wants the Maya Sabla, then it's probably going to be Thomas Pidcock's. I imagine he will finish with the bunch today. Well, well, Sepp Cusson and Thomas Pidcock will no doubt be battling it out on the Champs Lisey. <laughs> how, how do you battle it out for, for that position well, if you're. Well, in Sepp's case, he needs to finish about a minute ahead of the, of the yellow jersey today. So Which he is unlikely to, go on to the attack. happen. Yeah, <laughs> unlikely to happen on today's stage. It's not, a, it's not the kind of parkour that typically suits Sepp Kuss's skill set. Or he needs to take Pidcock off the back. He needs to just wait for Pidcock to be back there tailgun and then just take him straight off the back. I was thinking maybe White Van Aert could lead out Sepkus ahead of the race and then just like deposit him. <laughs> I, think, I think you're onto something there, Katie. What, what Sepkus needs to do is he needs to f break away out the back of the peloton with Thomas Pidcock. Yeah. And then when he's out the back far enough, say two, three minutes, then attack Pidcock, <laughs> drop him by a minute and overtake him in the GC. He doesn't need to take a minute out of the yellow jersey. He just needs to take a minute out of Pidcock. So, is there any way we could get this tactic to him mid-stage? <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know Pidcock as well as I know Sepp. Uh, I, I, I did explain to Sepp what the rules of, this, of, of, the, of the game were, uh, the rules of the Mile Sabla, and, and I'm a little sad that he's probably not going to win it now. I don't know what we can do. I, I think at this point, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be decided on the road, and I don't think there's a whole lot that we can do to influence in either direction, and I think that, frankly, it might even be inappropriate for us well, to try to influence this in either direction it's for the better that it's you know decided on the road the, the two two riders can joke it out on the champs Lycée and and a true champion will be crowned <laughs> is this the first uh, british winner of the Maya Sabla? good question since the start of the cycling of Maya Sabla or of all time Both. either i mean i only found out about the Maya Sabla about two and a half weeks ago so <laughs> Someone did post one of the mugs or the t-shirts on, on, on Slack, so we'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to dig it out. Yep. But we'll, yeah, um, we'll have Matt and Amy do a corrections corner for us tomorrow. What other housekeeping do we have to do for the end of the men's race? I mean, we won't see the sprint. We won't get the sprint in this podcast, but nope. I mean, it's, it's a sprint on the Champs-Élysées, and someone wins, and that's really all you have to well, say about it, usually. Probably Wout. Probably. Dylan Groenewegen. Yeah. I don't think Jakobsen. Well, it's sort of traditional at the end of the Tour de France to go around, go around the crew here and and well, one, we got to rate the tour. Uh, we rated the Giro out of something Italian, pizzas, and uh, our esteemed colleague Daniel Freib rates the Tour de France out of red wine. I feel like this is more of a rosé group, and so I think that we. I think we did baguettes last year to read it. Wow, we're going to switch it up. We're going to do glasses of rosé. Yeah, I've had too many baguettes, but I haven't had enough glasses of rosé. Glasses so. of rosé out of five. Uh, we'll start with you, Johnny. We, we, we need glasses of rosé out of five. Why? And best and worst moments. Uh, okay, not, not to bring this down immediately. Are we allowed decimal points in this, or does it have to be a round number? That's the most boring thing you could, I could possibly ask, but I just need to know. No? No, nah, round numbers. Okay, I'm going to go... I think you're going to shout at me for this. I'm going to go for a three. I'm going to shout at you. Okay, that's nice. <laughs> um, the GC battle was great. And that, and the colder ground stage was great. And maybe just because we didn't watch on TV, so we didn't see the whole like mind-bending things going on. Um, but oh, I'm trying to convince myself it's three now. Maybe a four. But that's just because I had a nice time as well. <laughs> The racing may be a three. I felt like we la there, la there lacked a certain edge to the race at times. There wasn't, you missing a few big characters, as we spoke with Pippa about, missing Alfred, missing Cavendish. You missed people who would sort of instigate storylines and narratives and conversation. I feel that it was all quite nice and the racing was nice. There wasn't too much. It was utterly without controversy. Yeah, which I which feel it kind of needs. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a strange thing. We didn't we didn't have any big big scary crashes. We didn't have any. Uh, I mean, the closest thing we had to a doping raid was was Miguel Angel Lopez getting tied to something uh, quite loosely, 
And we, yeah, we had the, the Bahrain search at the start. We had but the that Bahrain was before, search. That wasn't really. That got lost pretty quickly and turned out to not be. Not be much. Yeah. Um, at least yet. We just didn't we have like we didn't have Cav like throwing his bike at a mechanic and storming off onto the bus, or you know, or a Sagan you and something going with on with them, or, or the Alaphilippe narrative, or yeah, I mean, or for anyone French really doing something until Christophe Laporte, but that, that happened the blink of an eye and then was over. Yeah, I mean, I'll go next, I guess, because I I, I agree with you. Like my from a from a GC narrative perspective, from a Pogaccia v Vingago perspective, it is a four rose Tour de France for me, but. It was missing some of the day-to-day stuff that really makes for a, a phenomenal Tour de France. And frankly, a four-rosé Tour de France is a, is a pretty phenomenal Tour de France. I did say yesterday that this was the best one I think that I've covered, and I will still, I still maintain that, uh, primarily because of that GC narrative. But there, there, were, there were things missing from this tour. Uh, I think the big thing that was missing from this tour was essentially just big names. I mean, Wout Van Aert was the biggest, and he was all over the place, but we were missing some of the other sort of key, crucial stars of the sport. They were not here, and, and the tour suffers for that. Also, I think three out of five, it like, sounds like a bad score, but it's a good score, and I did really enjoy the race. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was great, but I think it's better to not get too superlative with rankings and calling everything four or five out of five. And Ian? Uh, my highlights were the two stages that Jonas Vingegaard won. I think that the Col de Grenoble was extremely exciting. I, I think that the attacks that were happening, and that was also a really nice day because we're out on the Galibier, we're having a good time. Galibier, Tourmalet? Galibier. Yeah, cool, I got something right. That's nice. Uh, and the other amazing stage of racing was the Horticam day. I, I thought that that was pretty spectacular. Um, Low lights? Are we doing low lights or are we, we just like lights? swanning through the low lights? Uh, I think the low light for me... <laughs> Does it have to be racing related? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So, the other night, Johnny and I, as we tend to do, were sleeping mere centimetres apart in a, a dusty kind of motel hotel on the outskirts of I don't know where. I didn't, wa- I didn't want your wife to find out this way, but I guess we're, we're doing it on the podcast. <laughs> um, we have tended to room together, me and Johnny, and this hotel had like a quite a tall... Mikey's not even listening. He's been hammering us for this story for like three days, and we've been like, wait till the podcast, Mikey, and now he's not listening. He's not even listening. <laughs> anyway, uh, there was kind of like a manhole kind of thing about two stories up in a our room. A manhole? Like a, a skylight. Skylight. It was a skylight, but it, it wasn't just in the roof. It was like a, maybe a disused chimney that just went straight up. It was bizarre. And at the top of this weird little shaft was a, a skylight that could open like a Velux window. And uh, uh, one of those evaporative cooler kind of air conditioner things, the outlet for that was sort of clumsily wedged in the, in the skylight cover. Um, so we walked into our room and then immediately within just a moment it had fallen down. It, it was a huge it was a huge um, tin cylinder yeah. about the size of a plate. Probably four meters Wiggling long. Wiggling its way up this whole thing, very precariously touched in. I went for a, to use the bathroom quickly. As by the time I come out, 30 seconds later, later Ian had knocked it over. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're there at about half past midnight um, using a pole trying to whack this metal cylinder through the skylight, I'm standing on the bed in my boxes, both of boiling us. hot, both, both in, our boxes, in our boxes, just, just sort of smacking, standing there. smacking this metal tube with a big long stick, yeah, trying, trying to get it, it wedged get it in. The, the but then, then the the wooden stick also got wedged in the V-Lux. <laughs> so then we managed to kind of get it in. We're like, that's precarious. And then about we we got it there. It was like fine. And then went about to sleep. two went to sleep. Two hours later, just sort of the metal <laughs> thing just falls on me as I sleep. <laughs> And Ian wakes up and sort of moves it off me like um, a, like like a, a caring, caring parent. A yeah. caring father, like, don't worry, son. I'll move the <laughs> the weird metal air conditioning snake from you. <laughs> and then the, uh, the old woman the next morning wanted to get into our room for some reason that we didn't really understand. We didn't want her to see our shame. <laughs> so we were just trying to... She, we couldn't speak uh, her version of French. I can't speak any I version of French. Yeah, I can't, I can't speak French. And she I definitely couldn't speak English, but she, she wanted to get into our room and we were trying to navigate the the tricky thing about how to... Uh, Explain that we'd ruined her... Ruined her, her air And beaten snake. it to a pulp. 
Um, so we left quite quickly and didn't <laughs> didn't tell her. We ran away like cowards. And to this day, probably a, a seven-year-old French woman is trying to <laughs> trying to put a snake back up the chimney <laughs> with a stick. That's a pretty superb low point, I would say. I mean, it, it was a high point as well. Like Johnny and I bonded. <laughs> you two are so excited about the story the next morning. You would not tell Mikey and I just to save it for the podcast. And I, frankly, I'm glad you did. I'm glad that this is the moment that I experienced. It. Mikey's disappointed. Mikey's had enough of us. Mikey's just focused on, on the night out tonight. He's, uh, he's, he's locked in. Laser guided. He's been wearing a blazer since Limoges, which was about 12 hours ago. <laughs> Ian, we need a... We need a oh, rosé rating. Not enough rosé on this tour. <laughs> I feel like we, there was a fair amount of rosé on the story. Uh, I think we could have done more. Um, for me, I will give it four. Four rosés. Four. I, I had a nice time. Made some friends. Made some enemies. <laughs> uh, it's been a good couple of weeks. I've enjoyed the pods. That's, that's been the other highlight. I, yeah. I have quite enjoyed just talking absolute nonsense. And uh, people um, either have enjoyed it or haven't <laughs> yelled at me too much for it. So it's, it's been nice. They are the most, most fun thing that we do here, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Ronan. Um, well, I'll, I'll jump straight to the lowlights because the, the lowlight for me, I guess, first of all, has to be having, oh, we're just trying to get Mikey on the podcast. And now that I've said it on the podcast, if you refuse the people, they will come for you, Michael. Speak, speak, to, speak to the people. <laughs> no, that's a hard no, is it? It's a hard no. Mm. He's visualizing the evening. He's manifesting destiny. What was your low light, Ronan? It's difficult for me to pick a highlight or a low light because the main low light is just how little of the tour I've seen. In all the years I've watched the tour, I've never seen as little as I've seen this year. Um, but beyond that, I think the other major low light has to be, you know, when I left you guys in Morzine, this was very much a Belgian beer drinking podcast, <laughs> and I've come back to a rosé wine <laughs> rating for the Tour de France. It's, it's highly, highly disappointing. <laughs> It's. I, I, I'm just gonna leave it there. There's nothing more I can say. I think highlights. We're sorry to let you down. You have. You, have, you know. I'm, I'm. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> the highlight for me was actually probably coming back here to Paris in the airport. I met the real life embodiment of the Turf de France. It was a fellow Donegal man, living in Ireland, or sorry, living in France, for a bit too long. It was your man. Living in Paris for a bit too long, so he still had his Donegal accent that he was speaking sort of French English in, and it was just it was just amazing. It was it was one of the, it was definitely the highlight of this Tour de France and maybe any Tour de France. It was like, if there's anything I can do to savor the sweet aromas of the turf, I would I would I would do that for you and I'd make more turf for you to smell. It was great. I'd, yeah, I didn't get him talking about turf, but it was. Uh, it was it was an accent I longed for, so as for as for ratings, I'm probably going to give it a three roses out of five. Um, I think had I seen that called the Grand on stage where Yumbo just had you know simply fantastic tactics and wanted Pogaccia into losing the tour effectively, uh, I might have felt differently about it because that's the kind of racing I long to watch, and I missed it being at Eurobike. Um, but you know, I think in terms of day-to-day -day stage action is probably like a four roses out of five every stage was something exciting happened but in the terms of the gc you know had had it not been pogaccia in second place this could have been a very very boring tour de france he really made it you know he he, he went on the attack he was you know he, i think he had the buffer to thomas that he could afford to be a bit more aggressive than maybe anybody else has been in the past but the way that he went about achieving second place um i think made it and it's kind of hard to really speak of a GC race being super exciting when there's three and a half minutes between first and second and eight minutes to third. It's It was it was exciting to watch, but it was Pogaccia that made it exciting, I think. So for that reason, three out of five. So yeah, I guess I just need to watch a bit more of the tour next year to give you a, a proper rating. I mean, I haven't watched the tour, <laughs> the tour in years. Um, 
I, I forget what it's like. And you're right. You don't you don't see a whole lot here. Not that we can really complain. We are sitting on the steps of a beautiful building on the Champs Elysees here. Um, well, I mean, it sounds like a, a three or a four or something like that, and that's a pretty damn good tour. That's a very damn good tour, actually. It's, uh, like I said yesterday, uh, you know, one of the best in recent memory for me, one of the most enjoyable to cover. Uh, part of that, like you said, Johnny, is I think comes down to the company. I think we really enjoyed all traveling around France together. Um, it takes, it takes, uh, it's a stressful thing <laughs> doing this day in day out very close confines with other people and and yeah it was it was a fantastic cruise so thanks all of you for joining uh on this tour de france and i think with that i think it's time for us to be done and yeah. for people to head over to the freewheeling channel and subscribe that's definitely 10 minutes we've done <laughs> 23 minutes sorry abby <laughs> All right, we are out of here. Uh, I'm throwing over to Abby and Lauren and Kit, who I believe at this very moment are watching the end of the first stage of the Tour de France Femme. Let's hear from them. This episode and every episode for the rest of 2022 are brought to you by Zwift. You don't need to live near proper training roads to be able to access the best training. Zwift has everything from high mountains to flat beach roads. You can find whatever terrain you're looking for on Zwift. Tons of different terrain from New York City to Paris, France. You can ride the Champs-Élysées just like the women did today. Thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode and for sponsoring the Tour de France Femme of Zwift. All right, 5K to go. Lauren and I decided that we would live record our reactions to the final five kilometers because this is a huge deal. Um, we obviously we've seen the La Course uh, by the Tour de France on the Champs Elysees, but this finish right now, them finishing ahead of the inaugural Tour de France Femme avec Zwift, the the first Tour de France for women that will be seen live around the world is a really big deal. So we figured we would hop on here and record from the get-go. We also have Kit Nicholson here from Cycling Tips. She's our weekend editor slash like the new Dane. Um, but she's having technical issues, so we'll see if she if she joins us. There we go. <laughs> Hello. Hello. The sound was sound was coming through this. No idea. All right, guys. Did we think that Gladys for Holst would still have thirteen seconds with four point four no, kilometers to go? I didn't I did think that would that. happen. But also, like Lauren just said before I hit record, people are. People are nervous. There was just a crash with Amanda Spratt and a Plantapura rider, which I honestly, I think I would have anticipated more incidents given how nervous everyone's going to be today and just the technical nature of the of the cobbles. But that's good. We, we don't want any crashes. We want it to be like a smooth, smooth run into the line. It's 3.6K to go. Should we make picks really quick or no? <laughs> Yeah, I just want to say quickly, Voss looked incredible in the first intermediate sprint. Looks like she sat out the second one, but her turn of speed was amazing. Weber's just sat on her wheel, um, was probably just testing the legs out there, didn't get out of the saddle. So I'm just going to go for Voss because I love her and everyone is I picking mean, Weber's. I mean, I'm with you. I, I love Voss, but I'm going to go for Bosmo, who completely sat out both of the sprints. Huh? Uh, Trek Segafredo didn't get involved in any of the any of the intermediate sprints or the mountains classification, which went to Femke Marcus. And I love that she was so excited. Like she basically posted up. Oh, it was it's great. Awesome. I mean, it, it just shows how important this race is and how like I was talking to Matt Deneef, who's on the ground. And he was like, if you see any stories that we should write, like you're watching the race. And I told him he should write something about what all of these solo riders off the front from pro teams, what it means to be getting the, mm -hmm. the publicity, the coverage that they'll be getting with this race and on the Champs. Kit, who's your pick? 
Well, I guess I can't pick somebody who's already been you picked. You can if you want. You gotta pick the favorite <laughs> kit. Well, see, you, you have left me the favorite, but I, I mean, given the choice, I would mm. say Mariana Voss. Um, yeah. But That's... Lorena Weebus is a good pick too, so I'll go with Lorena Weebus since you haven't. And guys, surprisingly, as we sit here watching it live, Movie Star taking a bit of control, which is not what we've seen in a lot of the sprints um, throughout the season. They're obviously really backing Emma for the sprint. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Be a good day for Denmark. I mean, Denmark are in force in Paris right now, aren't they? Very true. Exactly. Well, coming around that second last corner, I think it is. The the shot as they come around with that golden statue. And then, yeah, here we go. Jumbo Visma on the front. We go Jumbo Visma. We're finally seeing Ellen Van Dyke coming up. Like you said, we haven't seen much of Trek, but with 1.1 kilometer to go, I See, like, it looks like Balsamo is fighting for Voss's wheel. Yeah, she's just, like, letting Voss slip in there. Question is, where is Kapeki right now? Ooh. She'll be hunting those points for the sprint jersey. She's, yeah, way behind Valkar. It was interesting. We can talk after the finish, but it was interesting to see who went for the first sprint and who went for the second sprint. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's hard with this visual so high up, but look at this. Ellen Van Dyke is gapping that Jumbo Visma rider. Um, Weebers, where is she sitting right now? I think she's coming around on the left side, probably with Pfeiffer Georgie, if I oh, had to guess. I'm going to really miss uh, Pfeiffer Georgie not like in the national champ kit. Yeah, I know. It made it very easy to spot her. But look at this turn of speed and power coming up on the right. Here comes Anna Henderson. So good. Ooh, I'm, I've got goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks like Emma Nor uh, Emma Berg is she's trying with yeah, sprint. that's a it's it's such a straight shot to the sprint that it just makes Oh Voss is such coming a up. Huge... Hey, Voss, we've got Voss no. on the left, <laughs> Weebus is sprinting by herself on the right. It's a hard angle to actually see. Is yeah. it gonna be Voss? Oh man. No, oh, no it's, it's Weebus just gets yeah, her on the yeah. line. But Voss was so close. Voss was I thought I that was Kopecky for third, maybe. It looked like Kopecky for third, which we've talked previously and on the preview pod that she's not really been um, her old sprinty self this year. Normally, I would pick her for a stage like this, but not not this year. Look at her green nails. She knew. She said in the press conference yesterday that she wasn't going to go for green, but she's painted her nails green, so I feel... Well, she's got... Her left hand is yellow. Time for for the the yellow jersey today. I think she'll just miss she'll just miss out on the sprint jersey. It could it be Voss or Kapeki who gets it because Kapeki did come third. She potentially will wear the sprint jersey. I, I don't know. It depends like how many points they give on the line. But I I feel like they've talked about this on the regular podcast. Like the points distribution for the jerseys needs to be different. Like I think they've changed how the distribution is for the points jersey in the men's race so the points mid-stage actually there's if you go for the mid-stage points you're more likely to end up in the points jersey than if you just go for stage wins um so so we'll see in like a minute but i think before we talk about before we break down the stage before we talk about the the sprint i just want to listen to audrey cordon rigo's audio diary from before the stage because I sent it to Lauren and both of us were nearly in tears um, with how much this means especially to the French national champion so let's hear from Audrey really quick wow here we are I mean it's the D-Day and I don't know how I could describe uh, the way I feel right now I'm in the bus and taking the direction of the Champs-Élysées and the Hellfeld Tower where the stars going to be. And I think it's hard for me to realize uh, what's going to happen today. Um, I don't know, I just have the feeling that we just go to La Course like some years ago and that tonight is going to be finished. But in the end, it's just the beginning of something big. And. I think I just I think no none of us is realizing what we're gonna achieve today. Like the first stage of this new Tour de France after 33 years old, 33 years sorry of non uh, non existence and non uh, yeah 
just people didn't know anything about us and then finally we are in the in the front of the screen and we're gonna show who we are and what we are able to do and I don't know to me it feels really unreal it feels really unreal and uh, I can't wait I'm gonna be first line today and with my national jersey next to big champions next to all the people who've been uh, working really hard for this to happen and and here we go here we go and uh, once the gun is gonna be is gonna be uh, when that the, the, the start is gonna be on I think I'm gonna forget about all the all those things you know it's 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 really strange how I can be like just um, able to switch uh, from this really emotional moment to the race straight away and to just do what what we know what we know to do racing racing and and giving our hearts for for our sport so yeah I'm really looking for it finally we start on the Champs-Élysées finally we are there it feels good um, so we just got the above camera angle and really Weebers did come at the line a lot faster than I th initially thought. And she had a bike length on Voss, which is still, I think, the closest anyone has gotten to Weebers in a while. It is for sure. I mean, she's she gets multiple bike lengths on people usually. So Voss came into this race in perfect form. And I think this will be a blow to her, but... She can take the jersey tomorrow. I think yeah. she's got a smile on her face. Yeah, yeah. She looks, she seems to, I don't know if it's the adrenaline of the event, but she seems happy. I don't know. Maybe it's like Wout Van Aert's grimace where he's always yeah. smiling. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, honestly, a fantastic sprint and surprisingly, Balsamo wasn't anywhere. Yeah. True. That is true. Um, which no one really predicted, to be honest. I mean, Abby, you, you've been calling it for a while. You thought Kopecky was going to have a great tour. And I think um, perhaps the, the sprint jersey will be a, a battle between Kopecky and Voss, two riders who can get over those harder courses and do a bit of a Walt Van Aert chasing those points that the sprinters can't get. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see like how – who does go for those mid mid race points? Because I think, I mean, Kopecky could be a really really good pick to go for during the stage points, given that she's not sprinting as well. But there's stages that have points on the line that do not favor Weebus, and Kopecky will go for those, like stage stage three and stage four, for example, which are challenging stages with climbs at the end but not big climbs they're like very Voss Kopecky climbs mm. so it'll just depend on if like Kashin Iwadoma who said in the pre-race interview that she mm. she's targeting stages three and four you know if she's like off the front then obviously it's it counts for less but but yeah, yeah. great start to the race I feel just like so excited for the for what's to come all right, so what do we think? What do we think about this first? Whoa, Simone Boyard up there in eighth. That's pretty surprising. And Barbieri in fourth. Yeah, interesting. Great result for that team. Balsamo, was it seventh? That's... Yeah. She must have just really lost positioning going into the going yeah. into the finish. I mean, it's like it's hard to it's hard to overstate how important this this specific finish is for the women. The men haven't finished yet, but the crowds in Paris are huge. And this is like a pretty amazing start to what's going to be a an iconic, potentially sport-changing week in women's cycling this week. Kit, Lauren and I have done Hello. our preview of the race, and we've talked about the stages and everything. But you're, this is your first time on Freewheeling. Welcome. Hello. Yes. Yeah, welcome, welcome, Kit. Nice to meet you. Yes, you too, Lauren. <laughs> what do you think? What is what's your thoughts ahead of the Tour de France Femme? Besides just like exhaustion, because you've been covering the men's race for the last three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I will admit that I haven't uh looked ahead as much as I might have wanted to at this point, because yeah, this tour has been mental. But uh, but yeah, I mean it, it's what's really interesting about it is the I think it'd be really 
exciting to see how the various teams play it. And in the women's peloton, you've got some, I mean, impressive and incredible lineups for the likes of SD Works and Trek Segafredo. You've got other teams that are going for stages. So it's going to be a really multi-layered race. Um, and of course, the event of it uh, is just going to make it all the more exciting. And there's going to be all that emotion that comes with that too. Um, so I'm looking forward to watching more of the racing from my sofa um, this and, time <laughs> and I've, enjoying it probably more than the men's than race. your closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my airless closet. Should we talk a little bit about the, the mid-race points? Because I'm looking at the results right now. So Lorena is in the points jersey by 10 points over Capecchi. Okay. Um, and obviously in the GC lead by four seconds with the bonus seconds on the line. But we did see in the mid, there was two sprint points up for gra- throughout the stage. And the first one, we saw kind of the heavy hitters. The the women that we predicted will be going for those points throughout the entire race. It was Lorena Weavis versus Voss, and Voss took the points on the line. And then the second sprint point was between Kopecky and a couple other riders. Obviously, Balsamo didn't go for any of them, so... It was interesting to see that because obviously the second sprint point is closer to the finish. So Voss and Weebus sat that one out, made sure that they were super fresh for the finish. But we got a preview of how the sprint jersey is going to play out. And it it'll be easy it'll be interesting to see if Weebus does go for it after she's she's in it now. Um looking ahead to tomorrow it's another sprint stage basically a pretty flat stage with a bonus sprint up for grabs relatively close to the finish but an uphill kick to the line it's the final kilometer is uphill it's one like one kilometer uphill five percent so it's not a hugely significant climb but it suits Kopecky and Voss more than it suits Weebus. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that one. Um, I guess when we were previewing this race, we have spoken about how Weebers does have that potential. And the Champs-Élysées sprint, uh, as we said a few days ago, is a difficult sprint and people often underestimate it, but it is a really dragging hard um, 400 metres or something uh, with cobbles. So I don't underestimate Weebers, but I think like we saw today, the... The finishing gap between these potential riders will be closer and I wouldn't doubt seeing Balsamo up there for the win, considering today didn't go the way they probably planned. Sounds like a finish rather like the World Championships. Mm. Mm -hmm. Definitely true. Which obviously, yeah. Yeah. And Kopecky will be in the sprint jersey tomorrow in terms of like picking people out because she's second in the points classification. Surely SD Works will be really looking for some results of this race, given that they had a, a relatively disappointing Giro, minus our favorite, Neil Fisher Black. And yeah, Femka, Femka Marcus, the sister of Rihanna Marcus, who's on Yumbo Visma, um, Femka rides for Parker Tell Valkenberg, so it's a pro team. It's not a world tour team, but it's a team that's been around for a really long time and just churns out top talent. I mean, Lorena Weebus was on the team for a while and got some pretty good results there. Um, she took the only QOM sprint of the day and she'll be wearing the jersey all the way to stage three. There's no mountain points up for grabs tomorrow. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Um, that is a huge deal. Hence the little fist pump and something that we were talking about and what Kit just mentioned before is, you know, teams coming into this race all have different ambitions. There's only a few people who realistically are in contention for that yellow jersey at the end um, of the Tour de France. And even Cassia Nuodoma, who some might have picked to go for for the yellow jersey, she's targeting stage wins. Um, She thought stage three and four actually suited her really well. So uh, for these smaller teams like Park Hotel, there's a couple of French teams, um, Le Wahoo, uh, even a team like Kofidis stage wins is, you know, mountain classification, um, the most combative rider. Those are the sort of 
um, goals they'll have going into these stages, like basically looking at them as one-day races, eight one-day races. Yeah, and we saw a bunch of those small teams off the front today. Like pretty much everyone who was trying to to get away. I mean, to be honest, it's more of a um, it's more of a show being off the front on the Champs than it is any kind of tactical anything but it's a show that gets you a lot of eyeballs and gets your sponsors a lot of airtime so we saw a lot of human powered health off the front which we spoke in the preview about how they obviously made the step up to world tour for this race so their team management is going to be really encouraging them to to do everything they can to get on tv and it's the same with Uno X, who we almost they almost took the mountain jersey. She went a little bit early, um, but yeah, the, these smaller teams that kind of have a point to prove, given that they've their te- their sponsors have put in a lot of money for them to be at this race. I always like that about the tour. Um, speaking of the men's specifically, but you've got the small French teams who write the story of the whole stage until the last ten k. Um, and it'll be nice. So it'll be nice to get to what's always nice about grand tours or big stage races is you get to know new characters who, you know, make a name for themselves on these on the huge stage when everyone's watching. And that's what the French teams will do. Yeah, I think we're we're going to come out of these eight days with a few more names on our radar than we have had throughout the year. And I think it's because of how big this race is and how everybody has prepped perfectly for this race. There isn't a single rider in this race who hasn't had the perfect buildup. Well, there probably is, but none that we know of. Right. And so it's going to be, it's going to be a huge deal. Yeah. No one's at the tour to prepare for something else. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they're like, they're at the tour to really hone themselves for the uh, tour of Scandinavia, which is our favorite, one of our favorite races that's never happened, but we're excited. Well, if we think about it, um, not to diss the Tour of Scandinavia, but it is the the format this year is it's a new addition, um, and really the next big goal I would say for for the top riders is the World Championships. So this is it for now, and then it will be basically building towards that event. True. True. It's ages away. <laughs> it's not. It's going to fly by. All right. Let's hear some audio diaries from the stage. And then Amy Lauren Jones is not here because she's on the ground in Paris with Matt Denif, who is just a legend. So they are going to chime in with some of their findings shortly. Hey, Abby, just coming to you after the finish of stage one. We're back to the hotel and showered and just resting up a bit. Um, what a day. Um, so much just energy (laughs) for lack of better words at the start today um yeah it was just amazing to be there and finally be there um after so much hype and preparation and whatnot so yeah really exciting a bit of a relief to get the first stage under the belt or under finished um and uh, on to stage two tomorrow. Um, yeah, glad uh, my whole team stayed upright today. Um, the rough roads of the Champs-Élysées were rough on the hands, but um, our bikes worked great for us. I think we were one of the only teams without any uh, mechanical issues. Uh, so that was pretty awesome. Uh, and uh, obviously the atmosphere was absolutely amazing um super excited to have that many spectators and have so many people out supporting the women yes yeah, stage one done uh on the iconic Champs-Élysées so yeah very cool and really excited to get this race started such a such a cool day for women's cycling but um Feels like we've been waiting forever for this day, to be fair, to race the Tour de France Femme. So super, super excited to be here, to be part of it. It's not the first time I raced the Champs-Élysées, but not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit more rough than I remembered and it's pretty hard with like the rough roads and just uh, dragging uphill. Um, but today I just, 
I honestly just enjoyed it so much. It was super, super crazy with pretty much the entire place covered in red and white, happy Danish fans um, screaming mine, uh, Cecilia Utrup and Emma's name. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard my name screamed by 100 people at the same time. So uh, I, I honestly just soaked it in and I just really loved it. It was so special, really, really special day to be Danish <laughs> in, in Paris. So yeah, stoked for the men. I'm just following it now. It's Danish, um, Danish sports history. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. The fans were also there to cheer us on. As we don't have any sprint or whatever, we knew sort of that uh, we didn't really have a chance um, when it came down to a bunch sprint, but we thought it would still be cool to try and do something, maybe try and get ourselves on the podium in Paris and take a jersey. So our aim was actually to try and go for the polka dot. Um, we got an daughter in a breakaway, which was our plan. Um, but unfortunately, she... Just missed out. Um, but actually, yeah, another chance to snatch the jersey tomorrow and just to, I don't know, do something crazy, maybe to, to try and create some sort of success for us. Um, so new day, new opportunity. And uh, yeah, actually seven more days of opportunities coming up, which is pretty exciting. We are back and we are on the Champs-Élysées. We are we're standing on the cobblestones right now. Uh, the men's race just wrapped up and I am with, well, the two folks that we're going to sort of hand you off to for the next week. Amy, set the scene for me. The vibes are immaculate. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I'm quite addled right now because I'm extremely sweaty. It's been a very long, hot day. But yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty special to be here. I mean, the women's race feels like 100 years ago now. It does, yeah, hours. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Uh, I need a little bit more detail than that. Matt Deneef, uh, you are also going to be on the rest of the week, and we'll be providing all sorts of podcast insights plus written stuff and things like that. Make sure you check out cyclingtips.com, great website. Matt, can you continue to set the scene for me? What are we, what are we looking at? What does it, it feel like right now? It's uh, twilight here on the Champs-Élysées in the middle of Paris. It's still warm. There's a lot of people heading towards the presentation stage now to see the winners of the men's race be crowned. Um, yeah, a few hours ago we saw the women's race finish on the uh, on the Champs Elysees, and uh, yeah, it's been a big warm day here in Paris, but a very exciting one. And as Amy said, the vibes were immaculate. Well, we didn't quite get to it right after the women's race because the men's race sort of tacked on shortly after. But that is what you two are here to talk about. So. We really need to hit, first and foremost, on the biggest story of the day. Amy, you, you already got this one up on the site. Uh, whose baby was that? Uh, crucially, not Lorena Weaver's baby. It was her friend's baby. Apparently, she made some sort of like promise to this friend that if she won on the Champs-Élysées and got the yellow jersey, she'd take said baby onto the podium. So. Is that a promise you would ever make? No, personally, if I was having that moment, I'd want it all to myself, but maybe that's just me. It seems like it was, it was a strange thing, and in particular because then we sat in the press conference and people kept asking, what's up baby? with your baby? Uh, and, and eventually Lorena had to be like, listen, this baby is like four months old and I just won a very large bike race. <laughs> if you put two and two together here, you can probably figure out this ain't, ain't my child. Not to mention she was like crushing it in the classics as well, so yeah. <laughs> that would have been a very, like Lizzie Dagnan eat your heart out, it would, yeah. <laughs> What else, what else from today? I mean, it, it, it was super hot. We saw some like heat exhaustion slash, slash heat stroke right after the finish. One of the, who went down? Who, who kind of collapsed? The, um, the biscuit team, the orangey, the, one of the French Conti teams. I don't know. Saint-Michel Aubert. Saint-Michel, they, they used to actually sponsor the Tour de France and they would give their little biscuits out. Biscuits, in, yeah. yeah, yeah, they, they, give, they give little biscuits out in the, in the tour press room. Um, but I know nothing. Nothing more about them. <laughs> there are actually that. a few crashes. There was one about 5k from the finish as well that um, Amanda Spratt went down in and she ended up losing some time. And they kind of derailed bike, ed, uh, bike exchanges, um, sprint plans as well. So there's a few, there's a bit of a nervous stage actually. You could see the riders were quite tense, particularly early on. Is Spratt okay? 
She's fine. We spoke to her at the buses afterwards. She kind of landed mostly on another rider, she said. So she had Perfect. A, yeah, had a bit of cushioning, but she kind of corked her buttocks as well, she said. So she's a bit sore, but she'll be fine tomorrow, she said. She, she what? Her what? She corked her buttocks. Corked. Corked. Okay. As in... I thought you said corked, and I was like, what is that? As in... As in... Uh, uh, yeah, 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 forceful right. blow I to the muscles. Landed on her ass. Yeah. I can't wait for the Miss Miss Aussie British translations happening over the it's next It's going to be good. I feel like I should be semi-initiated. Like, I live with a Kiwi. Is that not halfway there? Yeah, almost. Almost it, the same. Is that insulting to them? Or you? Yeah. That's all right. We like to hate each other, but se- secretly we actually love each other. So. <laughs> what else What else from today? I, I mean, it was always going to be at Sprint Stage. It's, it's yeah. a Champs-Élysées stage. And this one started over at the Eiffel Tower, which is not that far from here. Uh, and finished here after a whole bunch of laps. So obviously not a whole lot of like GC discussion to be had. Can we take anything else away from today? One of the coolest moments for me was um, uh, Femke Marcus from uh, Park Hotel Valkenburg posting up with the victory salute with about 20Ks to go. So t- wait, 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 what? <laughs> so we're kind of looking down the Champs-Élysées here up towards the Arc de Triomphe, and it's a slight drag uphill. But the organisers of the race wanted to make sure that there was a QOM jersey handed out today. So someone was in polka dots. So even though it's not really a climb, they put a QOM point at the end of one of the laps there. And she got in the break and uh, won the sprint to take that. So she gets the first polka dots. And That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. So a big moment for her and for her team. You know, I spoke to her sports director afterwards and he was saying that you know, they've got to be realistic. They're not here to podium on a stage or anything. They've got to take what they can get. And, you know, winning the first polka dot jersey on the Champs-Élysées is a pretty big deal for the team. I think that's modest from that team as well because, like, they're a small team, but they've, like... I mean, Lorena Weavers came from that team. Demi Vollering came from that team. For sure, for sure. Like, they're a talent factory, so yeah. I think... Also, yeah, that climb was labelled a fourth category climb, which is an <laughs> insult to all fourth category climbs. And it had double the amount of points on it than a normal fourth category as well. I- I'm looking up the hill right now. I feel like the top of it's about where my head is. <laughs> yeah. So I think it gains about six feet. I think yeah. that, that's where we're at right it's now. It's pretty funny, but at the same time, it was a cool opportunity and, you know, Parker Volkenberg really went for it. So good on him. Good for them. Yeah. I'm just waving it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a... I am enjoying today's champs more even more than usual because it is not just the end because it is this transition where well you two you two are here there's a sort of like whole overlap of of sort of internal teams right like we've got a team leaving a team showing up most of the teams do as well if they have a men's and women's team like i was just chatting with with love island jacob over at trek and love island jacob is going home to catch up on love island on the love island baton as a huge fan of love island keep the listeners updated as you probably should uh i should say that i'll reiterate that i've never seen the show and so i have no context but at I feel like at some point I'll have to go watch them when I get home. Anyway, Love Island Jake is going home. You know, there's a new press officer coming in. There's this whole sort of transition happening today. And that means that there's also a lot more people here. It's just really busy and full and sort of, I don't know, even more exciting than normal. I think initially when we saw the course here in 2014 or whatever it was, the women's race really felt like this one-day curtain raiser for the men's race. And although it kind of was that tonight as well, happening a few hours before the men's race, there's this real sense that this is just the start of the women's race as well. You know, we, we head out east tomorrow and head towards the Vosges Mountains over the next week. And I'm really excited for the for the next six to seven days of racing. And it's going to be really great. you got to pick up your rental car in the morning. Based on the look of everyone who's done three weeks of the men's race, petition that the women's race does not get that long. <laughs> I agree, yeah. I'm cracked well, already. It's been hot. Weva said something about that in the press conference today, didn't she? Yeah, she was asked the, to be honest, like stupid question that keeps getting asked about, you know, the men's race is three weeks, shouldn't the women's race be three weeks? And like anyone that knows anything about women's cycling in the context of this race and the context of the sport, like is aware of the fact that like that's just not feasible at this moment. And to be honest, I'm not going to lie, three weeks is long. Like, after two and a half weeks or even two weeks of a grand tour, I lose like focus. I'm like, I'm not, I'm busy. I'm watching Love Island, you know, like <laughs> I'm not, I don't need to watch any more of this. So I think the current length of this race is absolutely perfect. And it fits where the women's peloton is right now. It's a really good parkour and it doesn't need to get any longer. And to me, I can't remember what she answered, but most of the peloton agree that it doesn't need to be longer than it currently is. 
Particularly in the first year as well, you know, it's only the, the first year of the event, eight stages, got a really nice gradual build up into the harder stages, great parkour as you said, so yeah, I think it's perfect where it is. Yeah, I think that there's, a, there's a general sentiment that, that we should maybe get away from questions about how to change things and just sort of, well, this is, this is an excellent thing that's happening this year and let's embrace it and, and cover it as best we can and, and cover the bike racing instead of covering the sort of, you know, logistical controversy around it, which is just not particularly, not particularly interesting or useful at this point in time. Anything else from today? For negativity, no negativity. No, not today. It's a beautiful day. We're, we're, we're standing on the champs at sunset. Nothing to complain about. Anything else from today? I think they were the main stories, really. It's all about Lorraine Amubis' baby, mainly. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the highlight. So, Looking forward to more offbeat stories like that over the next week. I'm taking over as the Johnny Long of the women's race, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill. Uh, well, yeah. I guess we're done, then. Uh, well, I'm done. Yeah, you're you just starting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, those of us who have been on the pod for a couple weeks now are headed home. A reminder, if you want all the extra bits, you need to subscribe to the Freewheeling channel. So you need to head over to your iTunes podcast or your Spotify or whatever. Type in Freewheeling Podcast. Find the one with Abby Mickey's face on it and hit subscribe. She's got a lovely face. She's got a lovely face. She hates having her face on the podcast, and which is why I mention it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, from Paris, uh, over and out. You guys will be back tomorrow, and I won't. So, bye, everybody. It's been a great month. Kaylee's off to get drunk. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Slander. Spe speaking of drunk. Kaylee's off to you. do Debbie proud. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of drunk, there's some fans over here that just fell over a fence. They've had a really good day. <laughs> All right. We're cutting it off. Thanks, everybody. Make sure you go subscribe to Freewheeling and keep an eye out for the excellent coverage coming from Matt and Amy all week. Bye-bye. We start in Mo, and that is the name giver of one of the most famous cheeses France has to offer, Brie de Mo. Brie is sold around the world, but Brie de Mot is nothing compared to the white triangle of factory-produced cheese you can probably buy at the supermarket wherever you live. Brie de Mot is something else, and you know it the minute you open your fridge. Its smell is intense. Very intense. Brie de Mot and Camembert are the best known of all the soft cheeses in France. This soft and moldy cheese is made from unpasteurized cow's milk and owes its name to its city of origin. Mo, about 50 kilometers from Paris, and that proximity to the capital played a big part in the cheese's popularity. Unlike the Camembert from Normandy, the Brie did not have to wait for the arrival of the railway to find its way into the lucrative Parisian market. You can recognize this Brie by its crust, which is thin and covered by a fluffy layer of white mold, marked here and there by some brown red dots and stripes. The dairy is soft, creamy, but firm and smooth. The finish of the stage is in Provins, a place that is on the UNESCO World Heritage Sites list. The historic walled city is an outstanding and authentic example of a medieval fair town in the Champagne, a region that became an important centre of exchange in the 11th century. It witnessed the rise of trading fairs and that was the beginning of significant international trade in Europe. Two centuries before, Provins already minted their own coins, showing its significance early on in history. The trade fairs, like the one in Provence, targeted merchants and traders from afar and that required long-distance freight transport between the north and the south of Europe and with the Middle East. And this encouraged the development of activities such as banking and foreign exchange. The urban layout and the medieval dwellings that remain in Provence are a great example of an architectural ensemble built specially to fulfill these functions, because they include merchant houses, vaulted cellars and warehouses, outdoor spaces for trade and religious ensembles. The city is also known for its well-preserved defence system which has been built for the protection of the fairs. King Philip IV visited Provence several times in the late 13th century, devastating the town with harsh taxes, 
that ended its period of prosperity and caused residents to flee. The town was then besieged numerous times and changed hands frequently in the 14th through 16th centuries. And this political and economic instability reduced the importance of the city. Nowadays, Provence has around 12,000 inhabitants and you can visit the ramparts with its 22 towers and especially the Tour César, that's the most prominent one. Provence also has one of the oldest inns of the country. The Hostellerie de la Croix d'Or claims to be the oldest restaurant in France, founded in 1270, and you can still have dinner there. That is a lot of history on one thing.